I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. This episode is for those of you who are boy moms. Even if your son is a little guy right now, someday he will be a man, and how you walk him through that transition will play a big part in who he becomes. We are diving deep into what happens as our boys become men and how we can hand our precious boys their manhood with Rhonda Stoppy. She is a best-selling author of six books and a popular speaker, including the one we are going to be talking about today, called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. For more than 30 years, Rhonda has helped women build no-regrets lives. Rhonda is a pastor's wife, mother, grandmother, mom coach, and a marriage mentor. I'm all ears for this conversation because my little guy is officially a teenager and just four years away from official adulthood. I can hardly believe it. Welcome, Rhonda. It is fantastic to have you on the podcast today. Thanks. I'm really excited to be with you. So a question that we ask all of our guests, and then I'm going to ask you is, what is your family known for? Oh, wow. (laughs) What are we known for? I think we're probably known we're a ministry family. My husband's a pastor. My son, Brandon, is a worship pastor. My daughter's husband and my daughter and her husband are the college pastor of our church. My other daughter's husband graduated from the master's university uh, with seminary, and he's not working as a pastor right now, but he teaches a lot in, in our church. And then I have an older son who is a fighter pilot in the Air Force. He's a lieutenant colonel. He didn't come to our family till he was 15 years old. That's a great story. But our hearts, our hearts are about sharing the gospel. That's mm-hmm. the zeal of our family, I would say. Yeah. And so if I come to your house, what am I to be sure to always count on? Oh, okay. That it's not super clean. We live in the country. We live in the middle of absolutely nowhere. It's 45 minutes to the nearest town. Yeah. In fact, I'm at my son's office right now doing this interview because we have satellite Wi-Fi and it's terrible. Uh-huh. And um it's super dusty. We had the California wildfires last year. And so wow, all of the yeah. ground cover burned away. We have an 80 acre ranch that is just dirt. So yeah, the house is just not the cleanest, but it's always welcoming. <laughs> always delightful to have people come and just stay with us, be with us. It's definitely a a country living experience. If you know me, born in Southern California, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. And about 30 years ago, my husband's dream was to live in the middle of nowhere and be debt free. And that's how we ended up in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So you're here to talk to us today about the audio version of your book, Mom Raising Sons to Be Men. And one of the things that you say is hand your son his manhood. So I love the sound of this, but tell me exactly what this means. You know, it's interesting because in our culture, we don't have a coming of man ritual for our sons. I wish we did walk on some hot coals, kill the fatted calf, pee on a rock, come home. We'll call you a man. Yay. But one of the things that our adolescent boys know is to be a man is I can't be a mama's boy. So they hit that age, 10, 11, 12, 13. You'll know when it is. They start smelling funky (laughs) and they try to push mom away. Mm -hmm. And when they push mom away, mom 
I, and this happened with me and my youngest son, Brandon, my feelings were hurt. He was my buddy. We just were like, you know, he was like, mom, how are you? And all of a sudden he was like pushing me away. And I would fight him for, to keep being my little boy, wanting him to sweep the kitchen like he had done forever. And all of a sudden that chore was beneath him. And I'm like, you've done it forever. Why? But when we hand them their manhood, then they don't have to fight us for it. Because otherwise you become the hill to die on. I'm going to conquer my manhood by oppressing my mother or by breaking free from my mom's momminess. And I cried a lot of tears. And I always say hashtag old ladies know stuff because that's why Titus 2 calls the older women to teach the younger how to love their husbands and love their children because I've walked the path ahead of you. And Brandon's 33 years old, I think now. Tony's 40. I have two daughters as well. I have 13 grandkids and two on the way. But the longer you live, the more you learn from your successes and from your failures. And I teach more passionately from my failures than I do from my successes. So in the middle of Brandon and I trying to go toe to toe over him fighting for his manhood, I realized this is not what this, this isn't a rebellious teen. This is a boy trying to become a man. So it's finding ways to celebrate him. It's telling him, I believe in the man you want to be. I see glimpses of the man you're going to be. I'm here to get you there. I remember telling Brandon, I have no desire to have you in my home on my couch when you're 40 years old playing video games. My goal is to launch you well. I want you to leave. So don't feel like I'm trying to control you to keep you my little boy. I want you to be a man and I want you to be the man that I think you are hoping you'll be. And I'm here to help you get there. Mm -hmm. I love that. So my oldest is, I mean, my youngest is 14 and he's a boy. And I definitely experienced that same transition that you talked about. I realized that. Yeah, he went from being very affectionate and touching and loving all the time to needing his space more and more. And, you know, it's that first time they say, don't come in the bathroom. Don't, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm changing. And you're like, what do you mean? I just saw you last week. And I've, I've noticed that I've had to talk to him very differently. Mm-hmm. So the way I phrase things and how I present things to him, and this isn't about like tiptoeing around him. It's about respecting who he's yes. becoming. And instead of saying, do it this way. I say, may I make a suggestion? And here's an alternative, you know, and I, and it's, he's so much more receptive because I wasn't getting anywhere parenting him the way I did when he was younger. Right. Once he turned 13, 14. And men crave respect. And, yeah. and so I always tell moms that first decade, love the snot out of those little boys. Mommy loves you. Kissy, kissy. But once they start pushing you away, now they need to know you love them by how you respect them. So instead of being like, hey, get over there and take those groceries in from the car, it's, these are too heavy for me. Do you think you could help me? The damsel in distress, you know, it's like, would you mind helping me with this? That changes your your relationship. My son, Brandon, and I, we did a, a mother-son retreat at Mount uh, Mount Hermon in Santa Cruz Mountains recently. Actually, right, right before COVID lockdown, we did it. And Brandon did the worship. And then he talked to the moms about what's going through your adolescent son's mind when they start pushing you away. And one of the things that Brandon said, and these moms are hanging on his every word, there's tears. They're like, this is my baby. What's happening? But Brandon said, I remember when my mom stopped crying was when I knew I lost control. He would say things to trigger my tears. He would say things like, you don't love me. If you love, if you love me, you'd let me go skateboarding around town with those guys. You're just trying to control me. And I'd be like, oh, did you say I don't love you. <laughs> right. But when I realized that that he was just saying 
things to trigger my emotions so that he would have the upper hand, uh, that's when I stopped crying. And that's when I just said, this isn't about him offending me. This is about him fighting for his manhood. And I want him to know I'm fighting with him, not against him. Yeah. Yeah. So as our role changes and as they grow into men who need respect, we have to give them more and more space to make their own decisions, right? So how can we help our sons hone that decision-making skill? Because it's scary to let go and let them start making decisions. Mm -hmm. I have to, and I know one of the things is that I have to be prepared for him to not take my suggestion. And like you said, not be offended by it, but let him go out there and make his mistake. But as we prepare for that season, how how do we do that? So many things just ran through my mind when you asked that. First of all, my husband was a youth pastor for 18 years. And when moms control harder, when their sons are pushing away, there's a section in moms raising sons to be men called control freaks, raised freaks. The more that we control, the more they push back. And I have heard more than one son yelling at their mother saying, just let me make my own mistakes. Just let me live my own life. They resent being protected by their mom. I think of the story, the first half of Moms Raising Sons to be Men is about moms in the Bible. And I think of the story of David's life. David, you know, sat on a hillside, wrote some amazing worship songs, and then he goes to take lunch to his brothers and they're hiding from Goliath. And he's like 17 years old. And he says, I'll fight him. I'll fight him right now. I love when God gets a hold of a teenager. They are just on fire. So Saul tries to put his armor on David and David says, I'm not going to do it this way. It's too big. I always think of the movie, you'll shoot your eye out, you know, with a big stuffed, you know, snow costume. He can't move. He takes it off. And this is what the the key. He says to Saul, God gave me victory over a lion and over a bear. I know he will give me victory over this giant. Now, time out. He was 17 when he said that. That means he was a young teenager when God sent a lion and sent a bear while he was protecting his father's sheep. Where was his mama? She wasn't fighting his battles for him. She wasn't a helicopter mom. I got to say, if Brandon came home and said, hey, dad, I killed a lion with my bare hands today. I'd be like, that's awesome. You don't work for you anymore. (laughs) Send somebody else. But God sent the lion and he sent the bear, knowing the giant that was in David's future. And so often as moms, we try to protect our little boys while they're in our home from ever fighting a giant or from ever fighting a lion or a bear. And if a lion or a bear does come, we get mad at God. We resent that God would allow something so hard to touch the child that we're raising. An example that I can share, it's in Moms Raising Sons. When Brandon was six years old, he started having severe seizure activity. We had just moved to Austin, Texas. We planted a church in Austin. I didn't know anyone in Texas. I didn't know where the hospitals were. The helicopter came, the police came. They took my son off in a a life flight. And I was sitting in my house, not knowing even where to find him. Went to the hospital and they said, um, we're going to do some EEGs. So they plugged his little brain in. And while he, part of it, they would do a sleep study. So while he was sleeping, I went over and I kissed him on his temple. And the tech called me over and she wrote on the on the readout, mom's kiss. And she said, wow. they know you kiss him when they're sleeping. So when your junior wow. high boy is pushing you away, go kiss him. When <laughs> but Brandon was only six years old at the time. And they said he had severe seizure activity in his brain. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. that's never going to happen again. It was a one-time thing, but it did. Yeah. And it was severe and he was 
heavily medicated. And the when the school administrator used the word special ed the first time talking about my bright, articulate boy, I mean, it even breaks my heart now when I say it. And I know there's moms that are listening right now that are having a similar experience. So Brandon's seizures were intense and we were planting a church in Texas. We had teenagers in our house every week, hundreds of teenagers coming to Christ. And Brandon had a major seizure. And I went in my room and I cried before the Lord. And I said, I quit. I'm done. I'm out. You can't heal my boy. We're serving you. I'm done. And I know I'm not the only mom that's ever been at your wits end questioning God's goodness when that lion or that bear is attacking our children. Mm. But if you hide God's word in your heart, it says you won't sin against him. And the word of God impressed upon my heart in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I said, no, I don't even know how to be thankful, but I will say thank you with my lips. I know you're a good God. I know you love Brandon more than I do. And I will say, thank you. Please change my heart. Slowly, we started watching. Brandon didn't want to play sports. He didn't want to do anything because he was so stoned. But we had band practice for our worship team in our dining room every Wednesday night. This little boy sat behind the different instruments and he could play them all. And my husband, who's a musician, said, I have never met anyone who thinks in music theory like Brandon does. He was six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And slowly what we saw was I wanted to hear the crowd glory in my son's accomplishments for running one down the field or hitting one out of the park. God had to get this mama out of the way. And he had to send a lion and he sent a bear because he was going to take my son to raise him up to bring the crowd to glory in God's son's accomplishments through worship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brandon's a worship pastor now. He gets to live his dream full-time playing worship and leading. He's at Big Valley Grace Church now in California. He just moved near us. He was in Southern California. He's toured with some amazing Christian bands. But what if I had gotten mad at God? What Mm -hmm. if I had walked away in resentment? I'd have come back. I'd have repented. But at what cost? Because our kids are watching. And sometimes your trial's just not about you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've been going through something the last couple of weeks and I've had to like hold it with an open hand and say, okay, Lord, like maybe this is okay to let go of this idea of uh, like a certain situation with us as a family. Maybe it's okay in this situation Mm -hmm. for it to just be about me and my husband and my teens don't participate in this. And so often we create an expectation. I mean, expectations are good because we can work towards them, but we get so we, we dig our heels in and we think that expectation is the only way this situation can work out when in reality, God has a provision or God has another idea on the other side of that. And so that is a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. I know like when it comes to, and you know, I have a lot of friends with younger kids and sometimes I'll often see, you know, they're, they rush to solve the situation for their child, or they rush to tell their child how they should be thinking or feeling about something. And what I've started to learn, and I think it's really important as boys get older, as children get older, is to ask them questions about why they're feeling something. What, what, what are they feeling? Why are they feeling that way? And then maybe being, you know, walk, walk it back and be not so quick to solve and have them begin to think through what is the situation that I'm in and how am I going to react to it? And so like when you talk about like, what if it's not about removing the giants or that those obstacles, that line or that bear, but letting them go through that in order to then become out, come out on the other side stronger. 
That's right. We're not trying to raise perfect kids. We're trying to raise kids who know how to recover from their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if they're if they make mistakes in our home, then we get to walk them through how to recover. Mm-hmm. If we keep them in such a bubble that they don't have any opportunity to make wrong decisions or to, you know, stumble, they don't even know how we will react when they make a mistake because they yeah. think oh, my parents can never know. I, I know, you know, in youth ministry, so many girls would go have abortions when they were away at college that they'd get pregnant. And they think my parents can never know that I did this. Mm-hmm. My parents would die if they knew, not realizing their parents would die if they knew they were killing their grandchild, yeah. but I never made a mistake like this before. My parents would be devastated. I can't let them know this happened. When we let them have the freedom to make some mistakes, and I didn't just give free reign to my kids, believe mm-hmm. me, but you ask the Lord, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Ask the Lord, is this an area you want me to give freedom? If you're married Mm -hmm. and the father of your son or the stepfather of your son is in your home, running it by them, they think like a man. They are more apt to give good instruction from the perspective of a man than we are. And I always tell moms, if your husband is in your son's life, if he's the father of your son, let your son begin answering to him. Because they'll resent you if you're trying to boss them around, but dad, they're always going to answer to a man over them. There's always going to be that respect. And if you can say, Hey, now I remember when Brandon was giving me such a hard time. Oh my word. And Steve came home and I was in tears and he said, that's it, dude. You don't work for her anymore. You work for me. And you could tell Brandon kind of cut his eyes like good. Cause she crazy. <laughs> And he said, you don't work for her. You work for me, but I'm a hard taskmaster. Mm -hmm. We live on a ranch. You don't have to sweep that floor anymore, but I want you tomorrow to take a pick and shovel and dig a ditch to the barn because I want to run power over there. And it was hard ground. And Brandon got up in the morning. Steve left for work. He said, do not remind him. If he does not do it, do not. Because that's what we do. Like, dude, you're going to get in trouble. You got to. He said, don't rescue him. If he chooses to not do it, I will deal with him. And that's another thing I think moms do. We tell on our sons. And then when the dad's brings the hammer down. They're like, Oh, it's okay. Don't do that. That's disrespecting their dad. And you're teaching them to disrespect their dad. So Brandon got up that morning, went out, dug his little ditch. It wasn't a little ditch. It was, (laughs) he He came in that night. I expected him to be angry because his hands were blistered. And he said, I can't wait to show dad what I did. And then when dad got home, he showed him, he said, dad, do you have some gloves so I can work tomorrow? But I don't, I'm getting blisters on my hands and I have to play guitar for worship on Sunday. And I'm like, who's this kid that wouldn't even sweep my floor, but men want to take pride in their work and they want an attaboy from a man that they respect. So if you're a single mom and you're listening to this, find other godly men that your sons can answer to. Brandon went to work for a friend of ours that had a machine shop. This man is uh, type a, everything has to be perfect. Brandon worked hard for him and wanted to, because he wanted an attaboy from that man that he respected. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is so important for sure. Now you talk about video games and forms of entertainment and how we can teach self-discipline and self-motivation through the use of them. So my son just got his first game console this summer. He's 14. We didn't let him have one. We we were not going to pay for one. We said, if you want one, you've got to work for it. He started his own business. He did mulching. He mulched people's lawns and he made some great money and he 
bought this console for, for himself. And so now I'm finally in the zone. I've, I've been listening to moms all the time say, oh, you know, they're always on that thing and I can never get them off and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, there has to be another solution. This can't be the end of my child now that he has a game console. <laughs> So let's talk about that self-discipline, the self-motivation and how we can use these things for good. Exactly. Uh, The first thing I would say is if these moms that are saying they can't get their kids off of them, if their kids started when they were very, very young, Mm -hmm. they're probably addicted to it. And Mm -hmm. that's a a discipline you're going to have to help them wean themselves off of. My husband and I, we minister, my husband's a pastor for the last 21 years there are a lot of millennial men that are addicted to video games. It's not a horrible, you know, it's not porn, which we can talk Mm -hmm. about that too, because that's a whole, another addiction, but it's something that they, it robs their family of their time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's wrong if they want to play video games, but when that's all they want to do and they don't want to go to church on Sunday and they don't want to go to, you know, interact with the family and I'm just going to do this. So the first thing I would say is you have to have conversations with your son that helps them walk down the path. You're raising a man. So keep coming back to that. I know that the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If all you're feasting on is mayhem, destruction, murder, blood, guts, gore, or whatever other video game, that's going to be a part of who you are. It'll become, it'll mold the character of the man that you are. I know young men that have been watching and playing video games for so long, they're angry men now. And they weren't raised by angry men. That's the thing. A lot of times if a son grows up under an angry father or stepfather, they learn that behavior and they become the, Jesus said, the student becomes like his teacher, not like Mm -hmm. his teacher teaches him not to be, but what he sees. But when they're feasting on anger and violence and revenge, that can become who they become. So helping them, you know, you got to guard your heart and it doesn't mean you can't watch or play these, but this can't be what you, every minute of the day that you do, plus it steals Mm -hmm. their creativity Mm -hmm. and it steals their zeal to conquer. God put in our young men, a longing to accomplish and conquer things. But when they're addicted to video games, they may work to support their family. And then they come home and play games all night, but they're not thinking of ways they can better their career in a way that's going to benefit their family or a creative way they can start their own business. It steals their their zeal to create and to conquer. So helping them understand that this is not about me. I mean, honestly, my life's easier if you go up in your room and play video games. You don't fight with your sister. I don't see you. You come, you know, it's easier, but I I love you. I care about you and I care about the man you're going to become. And until you're aware of how this can get a hold on you, I am here to help you get there. So again, you're coming back to that. My son, my son-in-law, Jake, and he writes about pornography and addictions and all of that in, in Moms Raising Sons to Be Men in the back chapter. He was a RD at a Christian college. While he was going to seminary, he lived on campus, him and my daughter and their kids. And these young men that were in such a bubble, they had no video games, that had no access to internet at all came to college and they would skip class playing their roommates video games and they would get on the smartphone that they'd never had before. And they would find pornography because they had never been taught in the shelter of their own home, how to discipline themselves, how to guard their heart and to guard their mind, or even the consequences Mm. from what will happen if they don't. I have a book out called Real Life Romance. It's like, if you think of like uh, chicken soup for the soul, just a bunch of love stories. All my kids' love stories are in there. Talks about how I talked to Brandon about sex, that in alone and such a good, and how I talked to Tony about girls and then my daughters, of course. But there's a story in there from Chuck and Angie's life. Chuck was raised in a very safe Christian home. 
it was when internet first was coming into people's homes. And in junior high, he started looking at pornography Mm -hmm. and his mind as junior high boys mind was, I'm going to do this to keep myself from having sex outside of marriage. This will keep me pure until I get married. And as the story goes, when he and Angie married, then he could not put it away. And she found out about it. They were both virgins when they got married. He was ashamed, devastated. They cried. And Angie said this, and some of you might be listening and might have this situation in your own home. She said, when I realized my resentment toward my husband for his addiction to pornography was just as ugly as his addiction was when I was ready to repent and ask God to give my husband the help he needs. Same thing for moms. We get disgusted when we find out. I had just a mom message me last week of something that she saw her son was looking at. And we get disgusted by them or we're heartbroken or we weep for them. We have to be ready to pray powerfully. Moses on a mountaintop interceding for them. And so that pornography itself can get a clutches in them at a young age. And I know a lot of moms, it'll be like, well, at least he's looking at girls. Is he? You don't know. Because once they have that door open, Satan throws all kinds of perversion across their path. And they say a young man, whatever he becomes sexually satisfied with viewing or entertaining himself with, that will be his bent. So your son may not be homosexual, but if he's feasting on homosexual pornography, that will be an imprint on him and his body. What we feed our flesh, our flesh craves. So you're doing a battle far more than just, oh, boys will be boys. No. This is a battle that will steal, kill, and destroy the futures of our sons if we don't stand in the gap for them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talked about that little bubble and and the kids who went off to school and had never experienced certain things, that goes back to what we were saying earlier about the decision-making skills, you know, allowing them to make mistakes in our own home. And so if we can walk our kids through how to manage these devices, manage the internet, the accessibility to certain things, then they are not going to get out into the world and all of a sudden fall to that because they know, okay, I can set a timer on my video games and I can make sure that X, Y, and Z is my priority. And what is, you know, when I look at my time, how am I spending it, right? Walking them through that really allows them to Make, you know, find out, oh, I was on the video games for three hours last night. That's why I didn't do go to my quiz today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's not a promise that they won't do it. It's just you've equipped them. You've sent them out of your home, not addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And you've sent them out of your home with the wisdom and discernment to make right choices. Then they're men and it's on them to make those decisions. When they move out, our role changes. We become their prayer warrior. We Mm -hmm. become their advisor. We don't, uh, you know, shame them when they don't get the grades that they should have gotten. Hey, you're a man. You're doing, you're doing this. You're either going to sink or swim out there. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of hard when parents are helping pay for their school bills. Cause then it's like, Hey, this is, (laughs) this is money I'm spending. But a reality discipline is I'm not going to pay your tuition. You're not going to live on campus just to skip class and play video games. That's not going to happen. Reality discipline is if you're going to do that, then go get a job, pay your own bills and stay up all night playing video games. That's on you. I'm not paying for it. I'm not funding it. Yeah. So I think we touched on this already, but how can we prevent ourselves from hovering and smothering? Because that is just what we want to do naturally. Like, how do we, what do we, when do we know to back off? How do we know if we're hovering? What are the signs? Well, they'll, they'll resent it or 
they'll become a little mama's boy. I, I remember I've, I've homeschooled my kids. I've spoken at homeschool conferences. I've not homeschooled my kids. Some went to public school, some went to Christian school. It's like you, you raise each kid according to their bent and to what that kid needs is what you raise them for asking God to give wisdom. But I remember going to a woman's house to get my kids tested, to be a part of a school that a homeschool group and her son, who was about six foot tall, was watching cartoons with his little siblings, holding his blanket and sucking his thumb. And he was not special. There was nothing like on the spectrum. He just was comfortable doing that. And his mom never stopped him because he never went to school. So he just kept doing what he'd been doing since he was a little boy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> we got to step in here. There's something not right about that. But really finding those opportunities is I think for me, I knew I wasn't the mom I wanted to be. I knew I wasn't the mom I meant to be or that I hoped to be. In fact, when Meredith, my oldest, was four years old, she said to me after Brandon was born, so I only had two kids at the time, I know you can't wait till we're grown so you can do whatever you want. I'm like, are you kidding me? I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I quit corporate America to stay home with my kids. And I was giving them the impression, this is inconvenient. I Mm. want to do something that matters. And you don't matter. Thank God she was a firstborn girl that are very articulate and they tell you how they feel. And so she gave me a glimpse and I knew this is not the impression I want to give my children. So I asked her forgiveness and I looked for moms that I could be mentored by. And Steve was in youth ministry. So I looked at moms of kids in our youth, those sons that liked their moms, those daughters that wanted to spend time with their family. And I attached myself to those older women because old ladies know stuff. And we became friends and they taught me from their successes and their failures. And that's really why I write the books that I write. It's just a, a Titus to, I speak at moms groups, at mops all over. And women say, I don't have an older mentor in my life. And mm-hmm. sadly, I'm 60 years old. Women that are my age are collecting seashells by the seashore. And it's me time now. And let the 30-year-olds handle it. So having the opportunity to speak truth in their life and then looking around for young, I mean, for women that are just that step ahead of you that will come into your life and help you learn from their mistakes, from their successes, and teach you from a biblical worldview how to raise a son that God can can use in his generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, yeah, there's just a lot to process. I, I, I think about, you know, what it is that I want for my children. And I think that it's important to set the stage for them and create a level that they can lean into and achieve. And I think creating intentional transitions are important. You mentioned the homeschooling family and the the child with the blanket, you know, making a big deal of transitions and making a big deal of like, you've arrived and this is what the new season looks like. And, Mm -hmm. and really setting up, I'm trying to think of how to to, to put it into words, but these kind of rites of passages Mm -hmm. and these acknowledgements of different levels and different stages. A lot of what we do here at our house is like, you know, when you're 13, we have adults that they care about, write them a letter about what it means to be an adult and what adulthood looks like in the next season. When our kids become freshmen in high school, we put all the money that they're going to spend into a bank account for them for that year, money we would already be spending on them so that they can manage it, right? And we make a big deal about these seasons and these transitions, and we just don't let them stay where they are. You know, we kind of say it's time to graduate to the next level. It's time to remind you of who, you know, you were created to be and let's step into that. And so, yeah, I think it's so important to acknowledge those stages and where we want to take our children. 
Yeah. Especially your sons. So one last question. We touched on this earlier, but as our sons reach their teen years, I've noticed that I need to communicate differently with my son, but I still haven't quite gotten the hang of it. And I'm trying to understand this relationship between respect and him being a boy and that that transition needs to take place. But I feel like I'm bumping around in the dark. So can you talk more about, um, as this transition happens, how we can communicate with our boys so that they'll listen and be heard. I think what you just told me is what you tell your sons. I'm trying to figure out how to relate to you as a man and to show you my love by how I respect you. Give me some time. I've been doing this for 10 years as a little boy mothering you. I know it's time for me to hand you your manhood. It's time for me to be your cheerleader. It's time for Mm. me to give you wise counsel but I'm learning too. So if you can cut me some slack, if you can help me, that would be so great. And when I, you know, my husband would rub my leg. Like I would just like, you know, try to be too helpful and beat a dead horse talking about the same thing over and over again while we're driving somewhere in a car. And he'd just reach over and rub my leg. Like he doesn't even hear you anymore. <laughs> he has <laughs> you out woman. <laughs> so what are we going to do? We're going to ask people to help us. If your spouse is in the picture, let him be someone and then don't resent it when you're in the middle of this Mm -hmm. all fire story of how this is going to help them. If he's a man reaching over and just kind of rubbing your leg, just know that's, that's insightful. And I need to respond wisely to that. And knowing that if you want a son who marries a wife, who respects him, he's going to learn what that feels like from you. If you Mm -hmm. mother him, if you demean him, if you manipulate him, if you guilt him, that's familiar. And even if he resents it, he's probably going to marry it because it's familiar. So be aware what your training in them is familiar. Steve and I do premarital counseling with couples. One of the first things we ask is let's talk about your family of origin. Let's talk about your normal. Let's talk about your normal. And now we're going to help you create your own normal as Mm -hmm. a couple. But those are things that are very important that we as moms can say, I want my daughter-in-law to respect my son when they get married. But if he doesn't know what it feels like to be respected by a woman, he may not even know how to be attracted to that. And so, you know, there's wisdom in that. And then also, I think just knowing that our sons need us to just tell them, I'm going to talk to you shoulder to shoulder. I had to find my, my way there. I lost my thought. My son, Tony, did not move into our family till he was 15 years old. He was from a harsh, abusive background. And I wanted to be his mama. My husband instantly became his dad because they had that bond, but he had a mom and he didn't need a mom per se. And I would go out, we lived in Texas and he was working on his Jeep and it was hot. So the summertime he'd go at night and I would sit in the Jeep. It didn't have a top on it. It was a convertible. And while his head was down in the engine, I'd talk to him about girls, about his dream to go to A&M university, about being a fighter pilot, about girls, about wanting to, you know, how he's going to get turned this Jeep into an amazing vehicle. And we talked about girls, but I guarantee you, if his head wasn't down in that machine, if his head was, if he was sitting across from me at a table and I was saying, let's talk about girls, I may not have gotten a word out of him, but because mm-hmm. he was shoulder to shoulder and I was doing something alongside of him, he just spilled his heart and his hopes and his dreams. So, you know, those first 10 years, you get that little boy, you look in my eyes, I'm talking to you. What did I tell you to do now? Go do it. And that's mom's raising sons is not just an adolescent book. It is a book for moms, of sons of all ages. Mm-hmm look me in the eye. I told you not to do this. What's going to happen if you do this? What's the consequence? Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Okay, go live your life. And then when they make the 
mistake or they do the thing that they told you told them not to, you have to follow through with that consequence. You can't just go, oh, they didn't mean, no, you have to stay consistent. But when they hit that age, now you don't make them look at you in the eye and talk shoulder to face to face with you. I had best conversations while I was teaching Brandon to drive and he was in the driver's seat and I was next to him and driving with his driver's permit. Yeah. Uh, you just have to find new ways to communicate in a way that speaks respect to them, but that they will still listen to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are some great examples. And I, I appreciate that because I've found, you know, driving the car to school, another side-by-side activity, right? The things that they say, the carpools, like and this even applies to other children. You know, the other children are willing to share things that they would never normally share with me if I just happen to have them in the backseat of a car and my eyes are looking at the street. Right. Um, Unless you make the mistake of putting a show on, putting the radio on. Oh, yes. Earbuds in, Because that's what people do. It's quiet in the car. Then everybody's doing yeah. their own thing, but there's not any really great opportunities. You know, when Deuteronomy says, teach your children as you're walking by the way, we don't walk places anymore we carpool everywhere as -hmm. you're in the car no put your put your phones down put your your you know turn the radio off how was your day you know have a couple of questions to ask and then wait for the answer Mm. yeah that's good all right well thank you so much for being with us today this was fantastic and i can't wait for our listeners to listen to your audiobook moms raising sons to be men and i read it so it's in my voice so my voice will be in your head okay good (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Wow. I knew my son needed respect, but after this conversation, I have some practical ways to make that happen without compromising my authority as a parent. You can find Rhonda on her website at noregretswoman.com. She also has a YouTube channel. It's called Rhonda Stoppy, No Regrets Woman. And she's on Instagram as Rhonda Stoppy. I'll link to Rhonda's book and the other places that you can find her online in the show notes. If you want to dig deeper into what we've talked about on the podcast each week, check out the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. It's where we hang out with some fabulous women to practice what we've learned. There's also encouragement, group coaching, and incredible resources there too. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose.